und ähm, Well, now I've got to slide share. So there's a play button up there somewhere. Can you click on that? No, no. Can everyone see that? <laughs> Lovely. Oh, technology. Anyway, what we're going to do really is look at scripture and let scripture explain scripture. I hope everyone can read that whole line and, and it's not covered with pictures like mine is, but in Numbers 14, verse 21, we read, as truly as I live, and this is the, the words of the Heavenly Father, Yahweh himself, all the earth shall be filled with his glory. And that was his purpose, to fill the earth with his glory. It's not the only quotation. Psalm 72, let the whole earth <coughs> be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, uh, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. So what we want to do then is to understand how the Father is going to accomplish this work of filling the earth with his glory. And the only way it can be done, sin having entered into the world, is to become reacquainted, it's reconciled, to God himself. Sin was that great divider and separated God from his creation. And passing of the sentence of death, and the moral decay which came upon all men has separated us from God. And he has determined a purpose, and that is to be reconciled unto his creation. Um, we, we can see the power of God, can't we? Romans chapter 1, and that quotation on your screen, tells us that the invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, whether that be a, a great volcano, whether it be a butterfly's wing, uh, whether, you know, you cannot explain those things away with theories of evolution or anything such. They are the work of the creative hand of a mighty power. Psalm 8 tells us, when I consider the heavens the psalmist says, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, and that which thou hast ordained. And he goes on to say, what is man? So in the presence of the creation of the Father, we are as nothing. So to know God morally and intellectually, how can we do that? We can't do that through seeing the wonder of his creation. We can only understand God intellectually by that which he has revealed to us. And there is only one place you and I can go to read God's word. And we will come to that as we go through. But here we read from John's, Jesus's prayer in John 17 that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And that word in the Greek 
to know literally means gnosis, um, nosco, to, to know intellectually, to understand. So how do we understand him? We understand him by that wisdom which he gives us. Told in Proverbs, wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom with all they getting, get understanding, and she shall bring a great blessing with her to you. So where do we go to get this wisdom? Do we, do we get it from the universities of this world? Do we get it through the intellectuals and academics who write books condemning and denying the very evidence of God? There is only one place we can go. And Isaiah the prophet tells us in chapter 55, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. There is no other source of divine wisdom or source to give us understanding of the divine than his holy word. Now, this, brethren and sisters, brings us to the very principle of our subject, dear friends, tonight. We do not fathom God through our own imagination, machinations, and invention. We can only know him by that which he has told us. And the apostle, when writing to the Romans in chapter 10, and we'll come to this chapter again later, says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they know in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is a divine principle. You can't know something without being taught it or having it revealed to you. And that's the purpose of the Father's word or spirit. It's the same. These words are they're, they're interchangeable throughout Scripture. His word, his spirit, his spirit word. It's that which goes forth out of his mouth. And we're told in Romans 10 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11 tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's his word, his spirit, his teaching, which will make us beings born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. So, so far, all we've done is looked at scripture and we have been directed to know that there is only one place we can go to know God. Remember, this is life eternal, to know him. So, how do we know him? How has he ordered the history of man that we might know him. And this is where why I've called this address Ministries of Spirit, because it's God's Spirit which has ordered in every way the education of man to him. It's never been the work of men, whether they're doing it out of all good intentions or not. It's men chosen or even angels of the Father, to do this work. And that is very much 
the first ministry he appointed. It was the ministry of angels. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 1, there you will read it quite plainly, that he made his angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who would be heirs of salvation. When Adam and Eve, having sinned, were driven from the garden, God sent his angels to teach them a new way. It's epitomized by the phrase, the way of the tree of life. And by the time you come to Genesis chapter 6, we're told that man had corrupted his way upon the earth. But you see, when Adam and Eve were in the garden before they sinned, they simply knew him as Father Creator. But having sinned, they had to learn a whole new approach. They had to learn Father Saviour. And the angels began that ministry and they taught them the way of salvation through sacrifice. In other words, they taught them that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. The angel ministry is still extant. It has worked throughout the generations as the Father has sent his angels in his name to direct his will and to order man's way. Three angels were sent to Abraham in Genesis 18, two of which, when he was in the plains at Mamre, he saw these three men while he was in the tent door and he went out and restrained them. Two of those angels continued on to Sodom. And there we read, there came two angels to Sodom at even, and they came to take Lot out of that terrible, wicked city before its destruction. The angel that remained with Abraham confirmed the covenant that Sarah would have a child of her own womb, and that that child was determined to be the one through whom the father's purpose would be worked out. Notice what it says. Yahweh went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. So that angel came in the very name of his God. There can be no angels or Elohim without me, we read in scripture. They were sent to do his will and his ministry. We can think throughout scripture. Remember Daniel. Gabriel came and said, I was detained in the court of the Persians and I sent for another, for Michael, and he helped me. These angels are working in the hierarchy in the governmental positions of the world now, appointing and deposing and persuading men to bring about God's will. So the angelic ministry of spirit was the first appointment men in mortal beings who went forth to further the Father's purpose. To that ministry was added the ministry of the prophets. Again, it's a spirit ministry. 
And we read, the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak. In other words, his own words. And there's records, many in scripture, of prophets who said, God has told me to say this and it was a lie. Even that prophet shall die. That, that was part of the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy 18. And that was the very case in the days of Jeremiah when Hananiah said to Israel, don't buy houses and don't settle down in Babylon. You're going to be back within two years. He'd in fact taken that symbolic yoke off of Jeremiah's shoulders and broken it and said, yeah, we will break this um, oppression and you will come back. But of course, Hananiah was lying. He prophesied peace when there was none. So how did they know which prophet spoke the truth? Well, Deuteronomy tells us the prophet that speaks a lie will die. And the prophet whose word comes to pass is the prophet sent by Yahweh. And Jeremiah said to Hananiah, before the year is out, you will die. And he did. So the people had evidence. They had a witness to who had spoken the truth. And that's the purpose of spirit miracles and spirit gifts throughout Scripture. They are to witness to those who speak truth. Prophecy, we're told, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by Holy Spirit. Was not their words it was not their thoughts in fact that quote in peter as we read in our exhortation said the prophets didn't understand what they'd said they desired to look into these things but in many generations we have such wonderful prophets as david and daniel even enoch they were men who declared unto the people God's purpose. And generally the people refused to hear and to understand. When Abraham's family grew and became a nation, the father found it necessary to make a new covenant and a new ministry with them. It was the ministry established under Moses called the Mosaic or the Old Covenant. And in Exodus, Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me. And why I've put this quotation up, come back with me to Exodus, because this ministry, this Mosaic ministry, New Covenant, was established with miracles that were expressly to witness that Moses had been sent by Yahweh himself. And in Exodus chapter 4, he says, Behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto me. This is the first verse. God had said, I will send you. And he said, they won't believe me. So he gave him three miracles to perform. He was to cast his rod onto the ground and it became a snake. And it frightened, it frightened Moses. He was then to put his hand into his coat. When he brought it out, it was leprous. 
he put it back again and it came out clean. But still, he says they won't believe. And he says he wasn't eloquent. But he says if they still don't believe after these first two miracles, then take water from the river, pour it out, and it will become blood. So there were three miracles Moses were given to witness that he'd been sent. The miracles, the spirit miracles committed were to witness to the fact that Moses spoke for Yahweh himself. This becomes more important, dear friends and brothers, as we go on. Those who with Moses established or were commissioned to build the tabernacle and all the furniture and the service of the tabernacle, Aholiab and Bezalel were also given spirit that they make, might make all these things exactly according to the pattern showed them in the mount. It was important because it was not just a ministry of law for a nation, it was a schoolmaster to bring them unto Christ. The, the Mosaic Covenant served four distinct purposes. First of all, it declared divine sovereignty in the moral world. What was God, God was saying to Israel, if you wish for me to dwell with, with you, this is morally how you must be. It was an economy. It was the law for social order in the nation. It revealed and declared explicitly sin in all of them. And finally, and most importantly, it was a schoolmaster to teach them or to bring them unto Christ. And that's exactly what we read in Galatians chapter 3. It was an amazing ministry of spirit. And we're told in Acts chapter 7, those words of Stephen, that it was Moses who was in the ecclesia in the wilderness that received the living oracles to give unto us. Um, when Paul was questioned, what benefit hath Israel? He says, every benefit because unto them were given the living oracles. They were given the wherewithal to know their creator. Isn't that amazing? They were given service and they were given um, a ministry and they were given priesthood. But what did they do? They turned their back on it. The Mosaic Covenant established for a thousand years and more was to govern a nation, but it was established for a set period only. Come with me to Galatians chapter 3. It was never to continue forever and ever. And Galatians chapter 3 tells us, I want you to come to verse 18. If the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now there's the question, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression 
till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So the law was given to control the nature of the nation of Israel until Christ should come. We won't go there, but Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 8 said at that time it was like a vessel, a garment that was old and ready to be rolled up and taken away. Now, I've deliberately not put this on overhead, but I, I, I want you to understand that there is a gap between the effectual working of the Mosaic law, which was a land covenant, and the commencement of the next ministry. There was a gap of seven years. We are told uh, quite clearly in Scripture that the law in, in Matthew eleven thirteen was until John, John the Baptist. It effectually ceased to be a working covenant from that time. Why? Because John came to preach the fulfillment and the end of the law. And for three and a half years, and I call this the ministry of repentance, for three and a half years of John's ministry, and for three and a half years of Christ's ministry, for, for seven years there was a ministry preached of repentance. Come with me to Matthew chapter 3. It, it's, it's so small that I, I almost missed it myself. Verse 1 of Matthew 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and we must understand that that word there translated the English kingdom is not what the Greek is telling us. Our word kingdom comes from two Anglo-Saxon words, which are king's dominions. So it speaks of the territory of a king. But the Greek word which has been translated kingdom, Basileia, literally means the royal majesty. The glory of the kingdom has come. And he was stood in the crowd, dear friends and brethren and sisters, and they didn't see him. Now, if we come over to chapter 4 of John, and verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, as it were, a comma in between the Mosaic ministry, the covenant of the old government, and the beginning of that covenant which Christ would appoint was a ministry of repentance. And they were to be baptized unto repentance. And they were prepared to then listen to the teaching that would be given them. Now, I want you to come with me to that quotation we looked at earlier in Romans chapter 10, because it's a divine principle which we must grasp. The apostle says, 
Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The ministry of repentance was superseded by the establishment of the apostolic ministry. And the apostolic ministry was a divine appointment by the Lord Jesus Christ that these men would go forth into the earth and preach God's words. Not their words, and we'll see that. Look what we read of these apostles. Said in John 15, Ye have not chosen me, I have chosen you and ordained you. These words, brothers and sisters and friends, come from a, a discourse which begins in John 13, verse 30, and ends at the end of John 16. And it's Jesus' valedictory. Dictionary that simply means farewell address to his apostles, not to you and I, to his apostles. I have chosen you and ordained you or appointed you that ye should go and bring forth fruit that your fruit should remain. And the apostolic ministry was why he had prayed so long all through the night before choosing these 12 men, and one of them was a devil. These men were the salt of the earth. They, he calls them the light of the earth. But they were not able to do this work themselves. Come with me to those chapters in John. He didn't say to them, you've been with me all this time, you've heard what I've said, now go out and preach. He says in John chapter 14, verse 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter, paraclete, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he abideth with you and shall be in you. Come down to verse 26. The Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's amazing. So these men who had been with the Lord Jesus for three and a half years, who had witnessed his death and his resurrection, were to go forth blessed with Holy Spirit. And we read that right back in Matthew chapter 3, where, where John said, he will baptise some with Holy Spirit. That was their work. Come, um, come to the end of chapter 15. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he 
the comforter will te testify or bear witness of me. The apostles were mouthpieces. They were oracles of spirit. If we go back to, if you want to understand that, back to Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent his apostles into Judah, he told them specifically in verse 16 of Matthew 10, when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given unto you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. So as the Lord Jesus said, not my words, but his, so the apostles would go forth and declare the words of truth. John truly baptized with water, but he shall baptize some of you with Holy Spirit and the rest of you with fire. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. Why? Why did they receive this comforter? Come with me to Mark, the end of Mark. Mark chapter 16, isn't it? Here's the commission, brethren, sisters and friends. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Why? It wasn't so as they could be the supermen of their day. These gifts were given to them to witness to the fact that what they spoke was truth. So we come to 1 Corinthians. And in Corinthians, we are told about these spirit gifts. Jesus says, I, if I send to my Father, will give gifts unto men. So if we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there we are told about these gifts concerning spiritual gifts, it says. I would not have you ignorant. So I give unto you understanding, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Now listen carefully to what's said here. There are diversities. There are different gifts, but the same or one spirit. What he's saying is I'm going to give different gifts to different individuals, but they're all from the same spirit, from the spirit of the Father. And, and that's how the ecclesia was set up in the first century by the apostles. Come down me to verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of the knowledge by the same Spirit, 
to another faith by the saints, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another concerning spirits, to another. There are nine gifts. We know, for instance, that Timothy had two spirit gifts. But the apostles themselves, including Paul, had all nine. Plus, by the apostles, the laying on of hands would pass on spirit gifts. But in each ecclesia, there would be a full complement of elders. Only the elders, particular characters, who would have spirit gifts. Come over with me to the end of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. There was a hierarchy in that first century ecclesia. Verse 28 says, God hath set in the ecclesia first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. So we just desire the best gifts. But of course we read in Acts of that man Simon who saw the apostles laying their hands on someone and thought, that's a money-making gift, I wouldn't mind that. He showed his character and his nature, but that gift was not to be passed on. There are two occasions when spirit came upon people without the laying on of hands. That was in Acts chapter 2, the apostles themselves, and in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. There was an occasion when Ananias was told to lay his hands upon Saul, who became Paul. Other than that, it was the apostolic work to lay on hands. But we are told in chapter 13 that there would be an end to these spirit gifts. So the spirit gifts were signs. They were witnesses to the apostolic authority. The spirit ministry, the witness of Holy Spirit. It wasn't everybody that could speak in tongues. It wasn't everybody could heal. This is why when you read in scripture, it says, test the spirits, whether they be true. You have to make sure somebody had the spirit of healing, wasn't standing up and teaching you. Evangelism was a spirit gift. Not everybody was allowed to go out and preach. It was the work of spirit. So these, brothers and sisters, are the quotations, if you want them, concerning spirit gifts. And we come to the point in chapter 13 where we're told that they will cease. There was a limitation. I know that we read in that one quotation that I will be with you forever. And that word forever does not mean, as we think of it, on and on and on and on. It's the word aeon. I will be with you for the age. And the Mosaic age was to end. Brethren and sisters, in chapter 13, we're told that the purpose of the spirit gifts 
was to develop in the Ecclesia faith, hope, and love. Verse 7 of chapter 13, bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Charity, that's the word agape, love never faileth. But where there be prophecies, they shall fail, or better translation is they shall cease or be done away. And then we read and remember what, what we said about the one spirit. For we know not in part, we know from one spirit, we prophesy from one spirit or part of one spirit. When that which is perfected is come, then that which is in part or from one spirit shall be done away. So when the ecclesia has grown into this full-grown man, able to withstand the fiery darts of the wicked, the spirit gifts would cease. This, as we've seen, was the constitution of the first century ecclesia. And it was established upon the giving of gifts. Those gifts were to cease. They shall vanish away. And I'm going to give you three reasons as to when and why those gifts ceased. I was talking to Matthew this morning and I was explaining that the last canon of scripture to be accepted were the epistles of Timothy. And they were accepted by the Antinesian fathers as scripture in AD 225. Brother Thomas says there were no longer any spirit gifts in the Ecclesia by that time. And here's why. If spirit gifts were received by the laying on hands by the apostles, John was the only apostle alive at the beginning of the second century. AD 110, we don't know when he died. But if he'd laid his hands on anyone then, the longest they would have existed would have been to the beginning of the third century, AD 200. Now, Brother Thomas also says in Eureka that by that time, uh, the apostatizing of truth had become so bad the spirit could no longer abide to be in the ecclesia. So no one to lay on hands. The other reason, if we come to Revelation, is taken up in the opening of the seals. I don't want anyone to become frightened or worried about these things. Revelation is a book of developing history in symbol. And when we read of the opening of the seals, we're reading of a time period beginning in AD 96, when John was imprisoned in Patmos, through to AD 300, well, 313, 325, when Constantine became the ruler of Rome. And if you look at the first, second, third, and fourth seals, they are all introduced with a voice of a living one. So 
verse 1, he opened the, the seal and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder as the voice of the four, not beasts, the four living ones. Chapter 3, and I heard the second living one say, uh, verse, sorry, verse 5, it's chapter 6, sorry, and verse 5 of chapter 6, I heard the third not beast, living one say, come and see. And of course, finally, the voice of the fourth living one in verse seven. But of the fifth seal, there is no voice. In other words, by AD 220, there was no longer any spirit voice in the ecclesia. The symbolic living one is the saints in judicial manifestation, those who will make them up, the spirit gifts that they possessed had ceased to exist in the ecclesia. So this is interesting, isn't it? Because if the spirit ministry of the apostles ended, what took its place? And that's what's so amazing about Timothy being accepted as scripture because now we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit word there it is you've all got it in your hands we've got a record of all the ministries and that ministry has been in our hands for almost 2,000 years and we can look at it we can see the ministry of the angels, the ministry of the prophets, the Mosaic Covenant, the ministry of the apostles. But it is a spirit word and it takes spirit understanding. The men which do not know the spirit like the apostles cannot receive it. But it is able to make you and I as those that are born again, not of corruptible seed, of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever I'm going to read that quote there in James James chapter 1 and verse 18 of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures and the concluding work of the ministry of the word, we'll see brethren and sisters who are baptized into Christ, raised from the dead, perfected in moral and physical form. These bodies shall be changed and fashioned like unto his body, and we shall dwell with him in immortality. Because his word has changed us and made us acceptable to him. But that's not the final ministry. The judgments which come into the earth, which see the earth become Christ and his saints, there will be a 50-year period when there is no ministry in the earth. There will be no ministry of repentance men will run to and fro and there will be no word no light in the earth at all only 
smoke and judgment cherubim. The cherubim, a certain man of Daniel chapter 10, the ancient of days, the man of one. But when the cherubim stand down and fold their wings, judgment ceases, then the 24 elders will go into the earth. And bringing our thoughts to inclusion, brethren and sisters, we go right back to Psalm 19, which we had read, which I believe is regarding this time. This is speaking of the time when the saints go into the earth and the peoples of the earth will ask, what shall we do? We're told the heavens declare the glory of Ael. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This is a ministry of the saints, 24 elders, who will go forth to rule with a rod of iron, the human population, the mortal population. And what do they go forth to preach? Well, verse 6 says, he's going forth, he's from the end of heaven, he's circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And they declare the law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of Yahweh are pure, enlightening the eye, the fear of Yahweh. So they go forth to teach the earth. And we know that during that thousand years, every man will know. Every man living will be responsible because they will have heard the word in truth. That's it. That's everything, brethren and sisters. So thank you for listening. I hope it's been helpful.